welcome to the 5x Growth Podcast, where your host, Carl, brings you the best insights and takeaways from the books he's read on startups, entrepreneurship, marketing, and sales. Get ready to level up and accelerate your personal and professional growth with every episode. So today we're starting a new series, uh, and this is a new book called Why Startups Fail, a new roadmap for entrepreneurial success. So before we start the book and the introduction of the book, I must give some thoughts and basically this is like a review of the whole book. So in addition to the startup's owner's manual, this is also a book if you don't know. Uh, so this is a must have for anyone in the startup world at any stage of its life. A founder slash executive team is going to benefit the most from this book primarily from its well laid out checklist of what not to do. Uh, while a plethora of books explains how to build a great company, it is often overly optimistic or confuses good outcomes with good processes. Eisenman provides a roadmap to develop a good strategy framework and risk management processes for a startup. Through examples of some failed companies, the author teases out six key themes that the author asserts will explain most failures. These themes are grouped into two stages of a startup's life. Uh, it's launching and scaling. The latter deals with issues related to scaling for scope or speed. For each factor, the book discusses various aspects um, like founder psychology, investor mindsets, teaming and management processes. The bulk of the discussion is centered on a diamond and square framework that tries to formulate the key stakeholders and contextualizing various business functions. So by business functions, we mean tech, operations, marketing, along with value proposition and profit formula. A double diamond design model provides a convergence divergence strategy for problem definition and solution development phases. Each chapter discusses various parameters that will help a startup leader develop a clear strategic and operational plan. So basically failure of course is always going to be part of entrepreneurship. This book doesn't claim it can avoid them but a careful and humble reading of the various thought exercises, examples, frameworks will provide you with a chance to decrease a failure. So this is a must read. And now let's move on to the introduction. Uh, let's start with the introduction. Many of the founders followed our playbook for startup success diligently and executed, executed it flawlessly. They identified a gap in the market, devised a differentiated product to meet that need, and validated market demand using the best lean startup techniques. 
I hope to help entrepreneurs avoid fatal missteps and thus spare them and their teams a great deal of pain. Failure hurts, and if it's due to avoidable errors, it doesn't just hurt, it also wastes time and capital that could be better spent elsewhere. It is a benefit of not only entrepreneurs, employees and investors, but also society at large. If you cannot fail, you cannot learn. This statement by lean startup guru Eric Rice echoes a big idea from Karl Popper, one of the 20th century greatest philosophers of science. If you're confident in your assumptions about how things work and everything goes according to plan, then you don't learn anything new. But if plans go awry, it forces you to re-examine your assumptions. In effect, you've tested your assumptions and found them wanting. In other words, you've conducted an experiment that's failed to validate your original hypothesis. When that happens, you've gained a valuable new insight. I discovered that we learn from setbacks in two distinct ways. From direct personal experience and vicariously that is, by observing others' mistakes. Fortunately, vicarious learning from others' mistakes can substitute for direct personal experience. This was similar ground for me because Harvard Business School is built around a model of learning through company case studies. These cases, I found, are a powerful tool for helping entrepreneurs foresee and forestall failure. Better yet, it turns out that vicarious learning from near failures is especially effective. This is why the National Traffic and Safety Board issues reports on aircraft near misses. Accounts of near failures provide insight not only into the mistakes made by responsible parties, but also into the decisions and actions that helped them ultimately avoid a disaster. Humans are wired to oversimplify explanations for both good and bad outcomes through what philosophers call the single cause fallacy. We shine a spotlight on a big reason for a calamity, say a failed presidential bid or a sports team's late season collapse. When the outcome is actually a result of multiple factors, Furthermore, we're prone to make what psychologists call the fundamental attribution error. Research shows that when we observe others, our explanations for their behaviors tend to overemphasize dispositional factors, their personality type and the values we assume they have while downplaying situational factors such as social pressures or envir environmental circumstances. By contrast, when explaining our own behavior, we tend to attribute good outcomes to dispositional factors, in, in particular our skill and diligence, and bad outcomes to 
situational ones. Why did this promising fail? Why did this promising startup fail despite its strong product, talented team, and savvy, deep-pocketed investors? My research revealed six distinct patterns that explain a large portion of startup failures. I briefly describe the patterns below and later I devote a full chapter to each. These patterns run counter to oversimplified accounts that tend to pervade the popular mythology. For example, the penchant of venture capitalists to blame bad jockeys for a startup's misfortune. So if you don't know what bad jockeys means, it means when VCs often describe the opportunities that a startup like pursues as a horse and its founder as a jockey. Um, so part one of this book, Launching, focuses on three failure patterns common among early stage startups. And in part two, called Scaling, we analyze three more patterns that explain the failure of many resource-rich, late-stage startups. For each of the failure patterns, I'll provide examples of ventures that fell prey to them and describe actions that other entrepreneurs took to avoid similar mistakes. So, let's talk about the early-stage failures. As we said, in the early stage failures, there are three types. Let's start with the first one. So the first one is called Good Idea, Bad, Bad Fellows. So the fate of many early stage companies I studied showed that entrepreneurs could identify a promising opportunity, yet still fail. Put another way, those companies made clear that a great concept is necessary but not sufficient for startup success. As noted above, many venture capitalists think that a talented jockey is more important than a fast horse. So VCs look for founders with the right stuff, grit, vision, and industry insiders, acumen, and experience leading startups team. The second, um, early stage failure is called false starts so when the information service cb insight identified determinants of failure for scores of recent startups the most common problem cited nearly half of the time was no market need and that baffled me so but by neglecting to research customer needs before commencing their engineering efforts, they ended up wasting valuable time and capital on an MVP that was likely to miss its mark. These were false starts. The entrepreneurs were like the sprinters who jumped the gun too early to get a product out there. The rhetoric of the lean startup movement actually encourages this. It's called ready, fire, aim behavior. The third one, it's called false positives. 
And by false positives, we mean excess, excessive optimism about market demand based on a strong response from startups' first customers also can lead some founders to pursue a flawed opportunity, burning through cash reserves in the process. False positives occur when entrepreneurs, beguiled by the enthusiasm of a few early adopters, incorrectly extrapolate strong demand to the mainstream market and step on the gas. When the next wave of marketing gets a tepid response, the team may be able to course correct and pivot to an offering that appeals to mainstream customers. But pivots can be costly. The firm must re-engineer its product and re-educate the market. With a false positive failure, a team builds a product that meets the need of the wrong customer. Focusing too much on early adapters and not enough on mainstream customers. So, yeah, those are the three early stage failures. And now we're moving on to late stage failure. So, mortality rates do decline once startups make it through their infancy. But still, like a third of the startups, of uh, late stage startups, still they fail. The first um, failure is called speed trap. So speed trap, uh, as I studied late stage failures, I found many that had gained considerable traction before going off the rails. Ventures that fall victim to a speed trap have identified an attractive opportunity Early adopters embrace the product and spread the word about it. The word about it. This attracts more customers without any investment in marketing. The rapid early growth also lures enthusiastic investors to justify the high price they paid for equity. Investors push for aggressive expansion. Not that entrepreneurs need much prodding. They are eager to grow, too. After marketing intensively, the startup eventually saturates its original target market, meaning that further growth requires broadening the customer base to encompass new segments. This new wave of customers, however, doesn't find the company's value proposition nearly as compelling as the early adopters did. The new customers don't spend as much as they, as they are less likely to repurchase. Similarly, they are less likely to provide word-of-mouth referrals. Consequently, to keep growing, the firm must spend heavily on marketing, which raises the average cost of acquiring a customer. Meanwhile, the startup's rapid early growth attracts rivals. Seeking an edge, competitors cut prices and pour money into promotions. At some point, new customers begin to cost more for the startup to acquire than they are worth. The second late-stage failure is called Help Wanted. With a speed trap, the relentless quest for growth leads to a steady erosion in product market fit 
as successive waves of new customers find the startups offering less appealing. With another late-stage failure pattern, which I've labeled help wanted, hypergrowth leads to problems of a different kind. These startups do manage to sustain product market fit while adding legions of new customers. But as with the early stage failure pattern, good idea, bad, bad fellows, these late stage startups stumble due to resource shortfalls of two types. The first relates to financial risk. Sometimes an entire industry sector suddenly falls out of favor with venture capital firms. As with biotech in the early 1990s or clean tech in the late 2000s. In the extreme, even healthy startups caught in a downdraft cannot attract new funds. Baby, babies go out with a bath water. Funding drought takes investors and entrepreneurs by surprise and can last for months or even years. The second type relates to gaps in the senior management team. Scaling startups typically need senior executives with deep functional expertise who can manage rapidly expanding pools of employees in engineering, marketing, finance, and operations. Delaying the hiring of these executives or recruiting the wrong individuals can lead to strategic drift spiraling costs and a dysfunctional culture. The third is called cascading miracles. So the first one is a speed trap, the second one help wanted, and the third one is called cascading miracles. In marketed contrast to ventures that grew rapidly before failing prey to the speed trap or help wanted failure patterns, some late-stage startups never achieve much traction. Despite having raised hundreds of millions of dollars from VCs and having hired hundreds of employees, each pursued an incredibly ambitious vision and in doing so faced multiple challenges. Assuming a 50% chance of a good outcome for any given challenge, the probability of getting 5 out of 5 good outcomes is the same as the odds of picking the winning number in roulette, 3%. To win such a gamble, these entrepreneurs were betting on cascading miracles. And this is the end of the introduction. The next chapter is chapter one, what is failure? Um, and that's all for today's episode of the 5X Growth Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and leave us a rating and review. For show, show notes and more, visit our website at 5xgrowth.com. Until next time. Stay focused and keep growing.